Amen. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving this last week. Um, it was probably a little different than most Thanksgivings, right? And I wonder if there was actually something even spiritually healthier about it. That when things get sort of stripped away from you, uh, time with family and friends, just the t- typical traditions that we go through, uh, we become more and more grateful. There's something truly thankful about it. And I wonder, we're only a few weeks now, a little more than that, uh, from Christmas. And I'm wondering what kind of Christmas this will be uh, just here coming up. Uh, I'm hoping in many ways, will it be similar? Will it be a, a spiritually healthier Christmas than we typically have when so much gets stripped uh, away? Not that we won't still go and buy gifts for one another like a 37-inch high-definition monitor, hint, hint, <laughs> Jessica, or a, uh, an iPhone uh, 12 Pro, which I need. Uh, so not that those things won't be given for Christmas, but there'll still be something maybe a little bit more uh, deeper, more serious about this Christmas than we've had in years past. Really, that's what he's hoping for here. If we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 17, uh, he's looking towards the spiritual health of these Thessalonians. Uh, that you can be spiritually healthy, even if you are physically sick, as many in our church are right now. Even if you are mentally challenged, even if you are emotionally damaged, even if you are socially awkward, <laughs> you can be spiritually healthy. Someone who walks closely with the Lord, loves other people, shares your faith, and no matter what comes, hell or high water, you stand firm with the Lord. Uh, spiritually healthy. We have an interest, I think, in our culture right now about spirituality and being spiritual. Um, I would just say it doesn't come, spiritually healthy doesn't come from self-help gurus. It doesn't come from endless meditation, you know, om all day long. It doesn't come with being one with nature. It doesn't come with doing hundreds of different rituals and ceremonies. According to the Bible, it comes by fighting the good fight, from preparation and pastoring, from faith and fellowship. Would you read with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at 17, we'll get to chapter 3, verse 10 today. We read this. But since we were, remember this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, a church that has been suffering, going through a lot of persecution, a church that is very dear to him and to his missionary team. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, In person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy." Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens, alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass 
and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. The idea here is to seek the spiritual health of yourself and of others, to seek the spiritual health of yourself and then others. We'll see that spiritual health, where it comes from, it comes from doing spiritual warfare, 17 to 20. And then in 1 through 4 of chapter 3, spiritual health comes by prep and pastoring. And then finally, spiritual health comes by faith and fellowship in that last section, 5 through 10. But first thing we see here is it comes by spiritual warfare. Uh, Paul talks about his desire, his longing to go back to Thessalonica. Remember, he preached the gospel with his team. There were a group of Christians who came to faith there. They've left, and he hasn't been able to get back there. Uh, we don't actually, we're never actually told why he can't get back there, whether it's persecution or whatever it may be, uh, but he can't get back there, and he's been longing to. How much has he been longing to? He describes it as being torn away. Uh, more literally, being orphaned. <laughs> being orphaned away from them as if his kids have been taken from him. He says, for a short time. We don't know how long that time will be. This life or even into the next. But I love what he says. We've been torn away from you for a short time in person, not in heart. What a good word, right? We're still one. We're still united. We still love you. We're still with you in heart, even if we can't be physically present with you in Thessalonica. In fact, he says that this being torn away has made them even more eager, more desirous to go and to spend time with you face to face. He's been trying to. He's wanted to again and again. And he describes the reason why he can't get there as not looking at the very specific situation of persecution or whatever's going on, but that Satan hindered them from coming. Talks about a a spiritual battle. Satan is the devil, the tempter, referred to later, the enemy, the dragon, the serpent, uh, the spiritual being that opposes us as Christians. And he says that What do I want more than anything is to see you guys who are my joy, my crown before the Lord. Now, that crown is not the the kingly crown, a diadem. This is the the winner, the wreath, somebody who wins a race or something. The crown before the Lord, my boast before God is you guys at his coming. And then again, we see that focus on hope, on what ultimately, even if I never get back to you in this world, still will be together in glory, and you are my joy and my boast before the Lord at his return. But I think this is a fitting statement for us today, isn't it? Again, providential. Um, We can have a certain spiritual unity, even if we can't be physically together, right? So not only 
like physically sitting next to one another and giving each other hugs and all that, but those who are watching online from your own living room or wherever you might be at this time, we're, we're torn apart by COVID. We're porn, torn apart by a pandemic, but not in heart. In fact, we've talked about this as elders and pastors that there is a unity, there is a people coming together that we have, haven't seen maybe in a while. I think we can see this with Thanksgiving, right? We're, we're torn apart as families. Maybe you couldn't spend time with your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, parents, whatever it may be. And so what does that do? Hopefully that makes us realize all the more our unity in heart. So, so in one sense, I think we can say with confidence that Satan has caused the scattering of the church. That this pandemic is part of a broken, fallen world. And the devil is at work, and disease is a tool that can scatter the church from meeting so that some right now have to watch us from their homes. Some who don't have internet access at all are at home and separated from their church and are waiting for those phone calls, by the way, from us to reach out to them. And at the same time, we can say, as he says here, is underlying, the underlying assumption is here, that God remains completely in control and that he will take Satan and all of his work and use it like a pawn, you know, for those who like chess, you know, as that sacrificial pawn that you can use to ultimately do what you're trying to do. That God will take what Satan tries to use for evil and he will use it for good. How did he use this for good right here in Thessalonica? Well, Paul wrote these two letters because he couldn't visit them. And guess what? Here we are 2,000 years later reading and studying those two letters, which probably wouldn't exist if Paul was able to go there in person. And he's used it not just for us, but obviously over 2,000 years of church history to encourage and strengthen his church. He says right here, though, that this separation has showed him how much he loves this church how dear they are to him and has put his focus on that hope ultimately to be together in glory and having them stand before the Lord Jesus and him saying, this is my boast. <laughs> Look at these people who now know the Lord Jesus because of the preaching of the word. I would say, of course, there's something good about being together face by face or mask to mask, I guess we'd have to say, right? Uh, there's something special about that. We don't ever want to lose that. So when all this is said and done, for those who are watching online, if you're able to come in person, come back. We want to see you. We want to have conversations face to face. Just like these letters didn't replace Paul's relationship to the Thessalonians, even if they're helpful. Same thing that Facebook and email and texting and phone calls can't replace actually being together in the same room and the same conversation with one another. But nevertheless, they're united in heart. I think we could also say this about death itself. We're separated from our loved ones in the Lord, torn apart in person, but not in heart. Matthew Henry says about this, the the world is not a place where we are to be always or long together. In heaven, holy souls shall meet and never part more. We are united with the church triumphant in glory, just the same. And let this separation from our loved ones, again, put our focus on that hope to come. Spiritual health, though, comes by by spiritual 
warfare, by, by fighting the good fight, uh, we are in a battle. We're in a battle. And there is a warfare that goes on that is unseen uh, in the heavenly places. We have an enemy. Uh, I'm not one who takes the devil as a personification um, or a symbol. I think there really is an actual fallen angel, the devil. Um, I don't think he himself is omniscient or all-powerful and is actually visiting each one of us, but he has forces on his side. I think there's a real battle that goes on. His desire, ultimately, though, is to divide and to stunt your growth, is to ruin you spiritually, is to stop you from Reading, his, reading God's word or gathering with God's people or prayer. How do we fight then with this battle? We don't pick up swords. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, my, bat, my followers would pick up swords and defend me, but that's not how we work. We fight with prayer. We do meditate. Not the endless meditation I was mentioning in the beginning, but we meditate on his word. We fight with fellowship by sticking together as Christians. Being alone, separated from God's people as a Christian is one of the most dangerous places to be spiritually. We do it by battling and overcoming temptation in our lives. When we fail, we repent, we look to God for grace, and we get up and we keep going. And then we fight and we fight and we fight until Christ returns. We do it by service. How can I serve the Lord today? How can I serve God's people today? How can I share the word today? We do it by love which is the opposite of the enemy's tool of hatred and division. And reminder, as a reminder, friends, greater is the one who is in us than he is in the world. Uh, It is a losing battle for Satan, just so you know. Uh, He lost the battle on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago. All right, It was over. The day Jesus entered into this world, he was destined for the cross and ultimately to defeat the spiritual being Satan and all of his forces, and it was over that very day. So here we are in the first week of Advent, and we can say, battle won, war over. We're just finishing off the skirmishes as we go forward. And he knows it. So why does he still battle? Because he wants to cause as much havoc and turmoil and chaos till the end. He might win a little skirmish here and there. Paul can't come to Thessalonica. Some of you guys watching online can't come to gather with God's people, which is better than watching online, even though being online is a good thing. But understand that God wins the war. And he takes every little lost skirmish and uses it ultimately for good. And it's true of us in our lives, friends. Yes, you might lose a small skirmish here or there spiritually, but God wins the war. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. How do we become spiritually healthy? We fight the good fight. We continue to persevere. We continue with spiritual warfare. What about 1 through 4, chapter 3? Spiritual health comes from prep and pastoring. Prep and pastoring. I'll, talk, I'll show you what I mean here. Uh, Paul checks up on them. He says, we were, remember, they were persecuted. They ended up going to Berea, which is a neighboring place. And then the Thessalonians were so, not Thessalonian Christians, but the Thessalonian people were so anti Paul's message, they sent people to chase him out of Berea. So eventually they had to send Paul to Athens, the big city there in Greece. And Paul, waiting in Athens, is getting impatient and doesn't want to just sit there. He wants to know what's going on with these Thessalonian Christians. So what does he do? He sends Timothy. Who's Timothy? Really Paul's closest companion. His son in the faith. 
his protege, right? He sends them his absolute best to say, I need to know what's going on. I need to check in with you. He describes Timothy as a brother, uh, as a co-worker uh, of God in the gospel. I don't think it's God's co-worker. I think that's probably not the right. It's a, it's a co-worker of God, uh, literally, uh, in the gospel. Um, and what is he going to do there? He's going to pastor. He's going to establish you and exhort you in the faith. That's what a pastor does. I'm going to establish you, give you a firm foundation to understand what you believe so you're, you're not going to lose it, <laughs> to, to, to grasp the, the truth of, of your faith. We, we want to teach you the word. In that time, the Hebrew scriptures and then the fullness of, of what Timothy knows about Jesus' life and Paul's message and the gospel of grace and exhort you. When there is sin, whether personal or corporate sin in the church, I'm going to address that. I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to warn you. He's going to pastor them. And Paul says, not only did I send Timothy to you, but he gives him a little reminder about afflictions. Remember, this is a church that's suffering. How fitting that we've been praying for the persecuted church this month as we've started looking at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians as well. He says to them, remember these afflictions, these trials that you're facing, these shouldn't surprise you. In fact, you were destined for them. It was meant to come about. Did you know that this pandemic was destined for us as a church? It was meant to be. Even as we said, Satan uses it for evil, God turns it for good. He warned them about it. He hopefully prepared them for it. And now he sends Timothy to make sure that they got the message and got it good, that the tempter did not make all that labor, all that mission work, all that service in vain. And that does happen, by the way. The church sometimes is completely wiped out out of an area, either by persecution or by, honestly, compromise and loss of faith. There are segments, there are patches on this planet where there is no real good Christian church or witness. But notice that, that we need Timothy's Silas's and Paul's. Silas was the third member of the church here, of the missionary team. We need people. So our culture, as much as we are more and more interested in spiritual things, um, we're becoming more and more anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment, anti-institution, right? Where we're saying that spirituality has to be sort of organic, and, and, and there doesn't, can't be any structure behind it. It's just sort of me and God and my Bible and the sunset. That's all I really need, right? So big old cathedrals are not necessary. Um, actually, in some sense, I agree. You certainly don't need these cathedrals, although they are beautiful and they are helpful. But the mentality of saying, well, I don't really need a church. I don't need a community. I don't need a spiritual family. I don't need a pastor. I don't need elders. It's just me. That's all I need spiritually. Me and my Bible. Well, the first problem with that is the Bible itself that you're reading doesn't support that, right? The Bible sees the church as the bride of Christ, the temple of God where God's people gather. It is absolutely seen as essential. So that Bible you're reading when you say, it's just me and my Bible, uh, doesn't t- tells you that it isn't just you and your Bible. It's us and the Bible. It's us together. And God has raised up spiritual leaders for a purpose, for a reason. Now, certainly pastors, 
and I'd be the first to admit, preachers, elders have failed at different times. And this last week or two, there was a high-profile pastor at Hillsong um, who had a great moral failure. People see stories like that. I was just reading some of the comments under, under the article there. Uh, say, well, that's that problem with church. It's just all establishment institution. None of it's any good. Let's so throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not the whole story. The vast majority of churches are just trying to be faithful to the word of God. Not perfect. And I think I could say, I've spent a lot of time with pastors, that the vast majority of pastors that I know, at least, are just trying to be like Timothy. They're just, they're just trying to establish and exhort the church and prepare them for trials to be faithful to the end. Friends, I, I think we have a lot to learn here from the Thessalonian Christians. Uh, first of all, like them, let's learn from good church leaders, like Timothy. Uh, now, uh, that doesn't have to be me, so this can sound self-congratulatory. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to faithfully say what it's saying here. If I'm not your pastor, especially those who are online, hopefully you have a pastor. You have somebody who's spiritually leading you. And obviously at church, I think it's more healthy when it has a number of different pastors and elders. So there are different spiritual leaders in a church, and maybe some have a better relationship with you than others, and so that diversity is a good thing. There's Paul's, there's Timothy's, there's Silas's. They're very different from one another, but certainly, friends, look for a Timothy. Look for a Paul or a Silas. I think also what we can learn from these Thessalonians is be ready and prepared for affliction. He tried when he was there to warn them and prepare them. This is the Christian life. It's it's not a question of if you will suffer. It's only a question of when. And friends, that is true, not just of the Thessalonians, that's true of us. I hope, I'm sure I failed in many ways, but I hope I prepared you for a lot of what happened here in 2020. You know, I don't, you know, I don't hear much about prosperity teaching anymore. It's not the year for them, I guess. But I hope your faith could, could, is, is deep enough to understand that trials in the death of loved ones and cancer of the throat or colon isn't the end of your faith. That it's part of life. We are not meant forever in this world. In fact, sometimes God uses suffering ultimately to bring about the deepest and most glorious truths of his word. Spurgeon said, some of the rarest pearls have been found in the deepest waters And some of the choicest choicest utterances of believers have come when God's waves and billows have made to roll over them. Amen and amen. We uh, looked at on Thanksgiving together at the noon prayer. Some of you guys joined us. uh, The book of Job and just at the beginning. And uh, it was actually, I was thinking about uh, Pastor Mike Ledison. uh, Blessed be your name. uh, The week before, the Sunday before, which reminded me of, of Job's word you give. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I was thinking about us together singing that song 
and knowing some of the hardships and sufferings that suffering that many of you guys are going through as we sing together you give and take away you give and take away blessed be your name the tempter this is Paul's warning to them and his God's word to us the tempter will try to use trials to tempt you You're not immune to this, to doubt, to turn to sin, to become bitter against God or other people, and to isolate yourself in which you are most vulnerable. I would encourage you guys, especially those who are online, because if you're here, you're part of a church, most likely. Find a church. doesn't have to be this one. Find a church and stick with it. And stick with it unless there is heresy taught or abuse, uh, or you have to move. You know, go, if you're moving, you've got to move. Find a church where you're at from there. And then seek to be spiritually healthy even as you seek to help others be spiritually healthy. Uh, you know, I, I, again, thinking of this Christmas, uh, I hope it's one of the most spiritually healthy Christmases we've had as we, Lord willing, still are able to gather together on December 24th at 7 p.m. and hold that candle in our hands, and again, sing together. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, and speak about the coming of Christ our Savior, who is Lord, and who dispels the darkness, and makes all of our trials, as the word says, momentary afflictions compared to an eternal glory. Friends, I hope you are prepared for whatever you're going through this year. And again, some people are having a great year. Thank God for that. But for many people who are suffering, I hope your faith was ready for this. I hope you'll endure it. And look to the green pastures that follow. Remember that. There's always a green pasture that follows our trials. Always. You say, what if it ends in death? Then you get the greatest green pasture of all on the other side of that. But there always is a green pasture after the valley. Spiritual health comes by faith and fellowship, verses 5 through 10. Faith and fellowship. Timothy returns. So this is written after, Tim, after Timothy was sent, spent some time among the Thessalonian Christians, and came back and gave Paul the news. That's when this is written, okay? And what he says is, Timothy brought back some good news. <laughs> some good news. And what is his news? Is that you guys are still walking with the Lord, you Thessalonians. Faith and love is abundant there. That you, not only are we longing for you and we love you, but you remember us kindly, meaning this team of missionaries, and that you long to see us even as much as we long to see you. That's the good news, that these Thessalonian Christians are still faithful and they love Paul and this team and they can't wait to get together again. And that they are comforted in their own trials. And Paul says, and now we live since you are standing fast. Actually, that's a little bit of a tricky term. What does he mean, we live? And the idea might be that we Live, meaning we can breathe easy. <laughs> it was a, it was, we were living with bated breath. We were living with a little bit of concern and anxiety about you. And now we can sort of whew, rest. The church in Thessalonica is, doing, Thessalonica is doing great because the people there are standing firm. They are disciples. Not just converts, but disciples who are following the Lord. He says, we give thanks to God for all of you. And, and he begins to just express the amount of joy that he feels in regards to them. Notice that. 
that there's more joy in him for helping others and seeing them do well than just them serving him. It's, it's about them. And they're doing well. He feels more joy than anything and filled, filled with thanksgiving. And he says here that we pray most earnestly night and day. Again, that idea of persistent prayer. God loves persistent prayer. It's not usually one and done. It's usually persistence. And yet he says here that God will allow us to come back to you so we can supply what is lacking in your faith. We can take care of you and help you spiritually as you continue to grow. If you haven't noticed, Paul loves these Thessalonians. He doesn't just like them. <laughs> he doesn't just see them as a project to, for him to work on. He doesn't just see them as objects who need to be won over, or subjects that need to be won over to Jesus. His affection for them is obvious. He really and genuinely cares about them. He wants what's best for them. Them doing well is what actually makes him really happy. There's a note there for us, I think, friends, that joy comes in service. Again, Christmas can be about one of two things. Getting the ultra-high definition 37-inch curved monitor and the iPhone 12 Pro, which still I hope I get, but it can come in that to some degree, and that comes and goes, or it can Sometimes Christmas is equated with as well, which is service, generosity, and sacrifice. It comes in seeing others flourish. I love that. He is so overjoyed because they are doing well. He's, he, joy comes in the midst of thanksgiving. I'm just so thankful to God for you guys. I'm just bubbling over. And that's a picture of the gospel. What did God do? He sent his son to sacrifice his life for us. And so what is Paul doing? Spending his days in the same way to serve and love others. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't fit the world, does it? The world says, no, wait, what is he getting out of this? Why is he so happy about these Thessalonians? What does it even matter to him that much? But the gospel says... I can't think of anything better than to know you guys are walking with the Lord. The greatest thing in the world. Notice that's what fellowship is too. It's not just hanging out. Well, there's nothing wrong with hanging out. But fellowship is then to help one another grow spiritually. It's a, a mutual supplying what is lacking. Of, of, of mutual encouragement. That spiritual health comes through faith and fellowship. Fellowship, friends, is where our faith grows uh, it, it's, there's a balance here, right? There's the balance of saying our faith grows when we're out there in the fire, being challenged by our faith, surrounded by those who disagree with us. Yes, that's true. And then you could also say, well, our faith grows when we're surrounded by like-minded Christians who can encourage and build one another up. Yes, that's true. Both are true. And you've got to pull both of them together in your life. You don't want to be one who spends all of their time 24-7, not 24-7, but every day with other Christians and never gets out there with those who disagree and never presents herself as a witness to those who don't believe. And at the same time, you don't want the opposite either. We do both. We're surrounded uh, by those who believe to encourage and strengthen our faith, and we hit the road as missionaries. We get out there and seek to live for Christ with love. Friends, you might be someone who's saying, I'm losing my faith this year, Pastor Rick. I'm losing my faith. Well, here's what I would ask you. What are you doing to strengthen it? Don't be surprised if you're not doing anything to strengthen your faith that you might be losing it. 
Are you connected to a church? Are you getting involved in a community group? Again, we could do that online or in person. Are you reading the word? I'm losing my faith, Pastor Rick. I haven't been reading the word in a month. Well, get back in the word. I don't feel like it. So what? (laughs) Just open it up and start reading it. And then you'll begin to understand it more. And you'll begin to grow in desire and a love for it. Are you praying? Spend time with the Lord. Friends, I would just encourage you to, that leading someone else to know the Lord, I think Paul gives us a little example here, might be the best feeling in the world. All right? And I know there are a lot of things that feel really good, but I would say this, it might be, it might be the best feeling in the world to lead another person to know the Lord Jesus. I can say that from what he's saying here, and I can say that from the little seeds of experience that I have in this nothing great. Well, it is great, because even one person comes into the Lord is great, right? But nothing numerically great. And certainly watching others grow in the Lord. And I encourage you, friends, serve others. You'll find that joy comes in service. Serve in some capacity, wherever it is. Start somewhere. Wherever it is, jump in. And I I said in the beginning that uh, seek the spiritual health of yourself and others. Uh, I, I wonder if we can even change the word and there to buy. Seek the spiritual health of yourself by seeking the spiritual health of others. Our culture... I think, is more open and interested in spiritual things than in a long time. And especially this year. I'm noticing it. People want to know. People have questions about spiritual things, about life and death, about what God is doing and who he is. And my guess is they're oftentimes looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) Trying to find the answer in a lot of dead-end trails. Trying to find it in the latest fad and some novel idea, some quick and easy spiritual fix uh, that really ultimately won't work. We have the answer. Where does spiritual health come from? It comes by fighting the good fight, by preparation and by pastoring, by faith in the Lord Jesus and fellowship with his people. Would you pray with me? Gracious God in heaven, thank you for your word which addresses your people. Your people 2,000 years ago on the other side of this planet in a different language and your people here in Haverhill, Massachusetts in 2020 who need to hear from you. Help us as a church, Lord, to be spiritually healthy. Help us to fight the good fight. This is what it means to fight the good fight, Lord, to continue to walk with you, to overcome temptation and struggle, to pray, to stay in your word, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be in your church, be prepared for suffering and be pastored, be cared for well. Help certainly, Lord, I pray for the spiritual leaders of this church to be wise. Help, we can't, we, this is beyond us. Help us, guide us. Give us wisdom how best to serve this church family, Lord. Even as churches all over the country and really the world are trying to figure this out too. How best to serve and encourage your people. Help us, Lord, to keep the faith 
and remain in fellowship. In fact, Lord, we pray for maybe even a deeper sense of unity and fellowship this year than maybe ever before in our lives with you. Lord, keep us faithful to the end. And we look forward to the day when all these momentary trials, whatever they may be, are swallowed up and we are with you in glory. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.